Thank you for joining me for this episode of People Know Stuff. If you know stuff, I'd like you to be a guest on my program. Please visit my website and drop me a line. Well, hi, this is Deborah Butler, and welcome to my podcast, People Know Stuff. And today I am excited to have Perry Binder here. And Perry knows stuff about writing and publishing a book. And let's get more specific. Perry knows stuff about writing and publishing a nonfiction book. So Perry is very well prepared and he's got about five points that he'll share with us right as we begin. And then we'll talk about those points. So Perry, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Deborah. It is great to see you again. Um, Let me just uh, introduce myself to the audience to see what uh, my background is and how I got here. So originally from New York City and went to college and law school in upstate New York and did not go to law school to practice law, but rather to be a sports agent. And I figured out pretty quickly that the Sun Belt from Phoenix all the way to Miami would be where the professional sports would explode. So I purposely interviewed down there and I did some time in Miami practicing law, doing some sports stuff. And life was going along great until I was looking for a professional diversion And I stumbled into a classroom, started adjunct teaching, and truly flipped what I've been doing professionally for the past two decades. I've been in Atlanta over 20 years, and I've been at Georgia State teaching legal studies classes at the Robinson College of Business, and that's where I met Deborah. So that's a little bit about me. Um, But there are five, five points I wanted to get into. I've written three nonfiction books. I'm actually working on a fourth, which will be out in 2024. And the five points I want to get into with beginning is getting started with writing clubs and conferences. I want to talk about how to be strategic before writing a nonfiction book, all the different publishing opportunities from large publishing houses to vanity to self-publishing, how to try to have fun as a part-time writer by getting into what I call a writer's zone. And then I love talking about my mistakes. Um, I'll talk about some successes, but I'd really rather talk about the mistakes so that you don't make them as well. Great. Thanks, Barry. All right. Let me just start with your first point. Um, Of course, you're an academic, so you have more accessibility to conferences. What about the everyday guy who wants to write a book? And I do think it's important to recognize that you're talking about nonfiction books because they're a different animal from a fiction book. So the everyday guy, where are they going to go for a writing club or a conference? What, what do you suggest? Great question. The bigger the city, the more opportunities there are. So, for example, in Miami and in Atlanta, we have thriving writers clubs. Uh, the one in Atlanta meets monthly at Georgia State University Perimeters Campus. So you can always find in a big city a club. There are also many, many national conferences that will cost you if you want to go. But there you'll meet fellow writers, you'll speak to agents, you'll get advice, you'll get, you'll watch panels, and you'll network. And the learning curve just goes so, so far up exponentially the more you attend these ty- types of uh, conferences and clubs. So a couple of questions there. You're saying that um, there's a writing club at the university. Does someone have to be a student at Georgia State, for example? No, they are uh, any writer of any kind, fiction, nonfiction, uh, young adult, whatever you're writing, 
there are tons of people that go there. During the pandemic, they met uh, virtually, but they're back at the uh, at the uh, perimeter campus now. So, and then in terms of the conferences, these are conferences that are specifically focused on want to be writers. There are so many specialty uh, conferences out. There are self-publishing conferences. There are how to find an agent conference. There are new writer conferences. And uh, so the best way is to just join a club nearby and, and you know, just talk to people about what you want to do. And there are many, many, many encouraging writers that will take people under their wing. And I've got to believe that it's just a matter of doing an Internet search to find these. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. And I'm sure there are good virtual clubs now since the pandemic. All right. So do a search and find the people who are doing it. All right. Um, Then you talk about being strategic before writing. Well, that's a whole uh, lesson plan. But say a bit to us about what you mean by being strategic and what are some actual strategic actions? Great question. So the first question is, why are you writing this? Are you doing it as a hobby? Are you writing a memoir for your family? Are you truly doing this not to care about getting ahead in any kind of business? When I say being strategic, um, I like to talk about nonfiction books as a business card, kind of as a calling card for what you're trying to achieve. So about 15 years ago, I wanted to do a lot more training, consulting, and public speaking. And so I figured, let me embark on something like this because books give you credibility. Um, Let me jump to one of the mistakes I made. Um, In my first book, I wrote a book before I was strategic. So it was kind of semi-autobiographical, a little bit lawyer, but it didn't lead to anything else. Once that flopped, then I sat back and said, what do I want to do? And the truth is, I wanted to help college students. So my second book was about 99 motivators for college success. And I've spoken to a lot of college crowds. And then the next one was, well, there are a lot of teachers and professors that are burnt out. Let me write a motivational book with classroom tips. It's called Classroom Light Bulbs for College Professors. And the light bulbs is an acronym to how to stay motivated and focused. So that book's only been out for two months. And the goal for that is to have colleges buy it in bulk, give it to their professors, and possibly invite me to speak. Great. And so what I'm hearing you share when you think about being strategic, it sounds like you really need to be clear about what is your why. I like the way you put that. Absolutely. What is your why? And so again, if you're just doing it for fun, as a hobby, writing a memoir, um, that's great. But um, you know, we're in the business school and we try to be strategic with everything we do. And that's what I'm trying to do with these books. Sure, sure. What do I want the book to achieve? Why do I want this book to, to live? Yeah. Um, and so once you've created a community that can support you, and then you know why you want to do this. What's the outcome you're looking for? You want to get it published. So tell us a bit about publishing, Perry. Let's talk fiction versus nonfiction for a second, and then large publishing houses versus vanity versus self-publishing. If you write the great American novel, even if you're a so-called no one, if you attract the attention of a literary agent who falls in love with what you do, you can possibly get published at a large publishing house, probably the goal of a lot of people. However, on the nonfiction side, if you're not nationally famous, if you don't have what we call a platform, a built-in influencing type of uh, thing, 
you're not going to attract a large publishing house. You have an option of possibly trying to get to a vanity publishing house, which is a much smaller cottage industry. And I'm going to compare that in a second with non with self-publishing in a second. Um, you don't have to have an agent to get with a vanity publisher. Uh, however, they're going to want you to have that platform. You're going to have to do a book proposal. You're going to have to have it accepted. And you won't get any kind of fancy advance. And they will own all the intellectual property that you have. I like being entrepreneurial. The more entrepreneurial you are, the more you should consider self-publishing because I own all my intellectual property. I repackage it each time in each different book. I control all of my royalties and uh, it's something I enjoy doing. So that, in a nutshell, that's, that's the, uh, the range. Yeah. And I, so it, it sounds like um, when you self-publish that you also are responsible for distribution which you may not be if you do, of course, a large publishing house, um, they're going to distribute it. And distribution means money. Um, it's distributed and purchased, you hope. But what about if you just give us a, a little bit more insight into um, self-publishing, do you then distribute it on your own or how do you go about that? Great question. Um the world has changed in the past 10 to 15 years, more specifically in book publishing. So self-publishers, there's no goal to, I must be in brick and mortar bookstores. We love selling stuff virtually. When we talk about self, self-publishing specifically, depending on the self-publisher you go with, they may charge you a grand or more for this so-called distribution. Amazon, the monster in the room, and I mean that as a compliment, Amazon is its own distributor. So if you self-publish with Amazon, which is what I do and what I love to do, there is no distribution cost. Your book can be published forever, both in print, both on Kindle, and we can sell our own copies. If I want to sell it in bulk to a college, I can send hundreds of books at one time. It takes me three minutes to do it. It's called Print on Demand with Amazon. They print it, they ship it, it's there. It's magic. So really, um, Amazon sounds like a very good venue to investigate first. That is my opinion. I've recommended it to about six students and professors with success. And if I can jump down to my first mistake, my first book was with a uh, different, very small, very good self-publishing company. Um, they were very expensive. They had that distribution charge. Their editors were not up to my standards. And um, Amazon has none of those costs. Let me let me blow your mind here. You can spend $200 and have uh, a, a Kindle cover and a print front and back cover. And those are all your costs. Wow. You split some royalties with Amazon. So uh, whenever I sell a Kindle, I get 70% of everything. Amazon gets 30. And when it comes to the print, it's a range of, I get 40 to 60% royalty on that. So it's truly a partnership, but it's, it's an ongoing partnership and there are no built-in hidden costs. Well, so here we've kind of, the rubber has hit the road when we talk about <laughs> publishing with Amazon. I've got my group and they hold me accountable. And I know why I am spending time writing this book. 
which requires being in the writer's zone. And I want to come back to that. And now I've completed what I want to publish. What's my very first step? If what I want to do is put it on Amazon, what's, can you give me the steps for that? My steps would be to slow down and um, identify who your friends and colleagues are who are great editors. And if you don't have any great editor friends or colleagues to pay a few hundred dollars with a referral. Um, I've got great colleagues and friends and I do my own editing as well. Uh, you need to spend a lot more time in editing than just writing this thing. Uh, once I'm very comfortable with a good second or third draft, I'll give it out. But then it's months and months and months. And uh, using tools like Grammarly really help because I've, I've had five eyes on my manuscript and then I plugged in Grammarly and there were six very glaring mistakes that were there. So patience is what I promote. And um, once we're super solid in that, if you're savvy enough to do your own layout, and I do my own layout, um, you definitely want to have a professional graphic artist do your cover. So outside of the words you write, the two most important things for you in a virtual world, which is what we're doing, is what is the title of your book? And what is your cover going to look like? And let me just step back a little bit. You better do due diligence to make sure nobody else has that title. So it's not just a Google search. It's an Amazon search. It may be a U.S. patent and trademark search. You know, you really have to be very methodical. And early on, when you think you have a decent title, even if it's not the exact title, buy three or four domain names with that title. If it turns out you don't have want to use that title, so what? Let the domain names expire and keep on going. So patience is what I what I promote. So what part of what you're talking about right now is before you ever even take that first step with Amazon, um, you and you've done the necessary things to get that book written, all you've got is a first draft. You want to make sure that you edit, 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 and choose a really clever, well-thought-out title, get a good cover, make sure you're the only one who's going to have that title, and then what do you do with Amazon? Um, let me back up a second just to give people a perspective of how long the editing should take. So my first draft, my first solid, solid draft was done May of 2023, and I had editors uh, look at it all throughout the summer, all throughout the fall, while I simultaneously worked on the, on the cover. So we published in January. So May of 2022. May um, of 2020, yeah, right, 2022, <laughs> all the way to January 2023. I, okay. Sometimes I don't know where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. So part of maybe being in the right frame of mind for the writer's zone is, like you say, being patient. Um, so did you want to tell us the first step with Amazon, or do you want to tell us what the writer's zone is? Um, yeah, the, let's talk about Amazon, then we'll just talk about having fun and getting into the zone. So once you're absolutely positive, you've got the perfect layout and the perfect cover, it is so easy to set up uh, your choices on Amazon. They're going to ask you, do you want to do a Kindle? Do you want to do a paperback? Do you want to do a hardback? Um, and then you just pick out those choices. Uh, something you have to be very strategic about. Nobody's going to find your book unless you have keywords that you load into Amazon saying, these are the words that I can help find this book. So you got to spend some time doing that. You have to put a book description. Um, you have you should try to get endorsers for your book. When I say patience, so I have 
for this third book, I have seven college professors who did uh, an endorsement and um, the education columnist for the Washington Post did that as well. That means sending out your manuscript really, really early. And so patience is really what we're talking about here. Get it done right. Uh, here's another mistake I made in my first book. So I put the book out and then I sent it out with a press release. I got a book review from the Dallas Morning News, but it didn't make it onto the book because the book was out already. So, so you want that review in the book. Sure. Again, every mistake I made on the first one. Yeah, yeah. You know a lot of stuff about mistakes. Well, I have a couple of successes too. <laughs> <laughs> so um, tell us, so, go ahead. You, well, the next thing we were getting to, uh, have fun and try to get into a writer's zone. I always see this quote about writers and it just says this, it's a very serious thing. Writers write, you know, and that's a very scary and ominous thing to say. And I like to amend that. And I say full-time writers write. Part-time writers have to find inspiration, get into this zone, ride that zone until it goes. A zone, it could take you a month to get into it. But once you start writing, the hardest thing is starting. But once you get on a roll, and I don't care if it's a week, it could be months. Here's an example of a zone. You're in your car and you're driving along and you start thinking about a million ideas. I used to keep a legal pad on the passenger seat. And at stoplights, I used to write stuff down. Before I got home, if there were things I had to write down, I would go to where the swim tennis area is in my subdivision and spend 10 or 15 minutes doing that and then getting stuff down. So to me, that was fun. I enjoyed that. I had a great time doing it. But the very annoying thing that I actually agree with when some people say, oh, the book wrote itself. You know that's not true, but when you're in the zone, it really does write itself. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. It's exciting to hear. Yeah. So the zone is different for everyone. And I hear another piece of advice coming through. Be patient, but be persistent. Give yourself time to find your zone, but look for a zone. Look for a mindset that you can write from. I completely agree. Um, and, you know, again, don't be shy about sharing your book with friends and colleagues. Um, you know, lots of people don't have time, so you got to find the right person. Uh, and if you can't, then you need a referral for a solid editor, not just somebody who you just read off uh, the back of a of a matchbook cover. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, before we close, let me just tell you what I'm hearing. And then you add anything else that you want to leave our listeners with, because I feel like you've shared um, a lot about what is a pretty complicated thing. I'm going to tell you what I hear first and foremost, patience, persistence, and support yourself with a community that you locate and recognize that you want to know why you're doing this so that you kind of build engagement with that community around your why and what you want this book to do. And then you write and allow yourself, it might be you've got to meet with that community 10 times before you find your writer's mind, but you start writing. and you build a network of people who will look at your writing so that when you've got what you feel is your first draft, that you've got readers and maybe they've been reading it all along, but it must be read, it must be edited. And 
when you get to that place where you feel like this thing is ready to roll and some of the tools that you can use again are your community, but you talked about Grammarly um, uh, and let's see, you talked about professional editors um, and then two important considerations, your title, which you want to search for and make sure it's going to be yours and your cover and you need to know what the key words are that describe your book, which is probably going to also align with your why and what the book's life is meant to, um, the need it's meant to meet. But if I didn't start with it, I'm going to end with it again. Patience, persistence. Let me just layer in, layer in a few more things. Yeah. Um, you doing a lot of research on, I don't like to use the word competition, but books that are like yours. So I would walk into a brick and mortar store and get ideas about what my book was going to be from theirs. And of course, on Amazon as well. And when I, I want to come back to the cover, got to be real careful to make sure that when your cover is reduced to the size of a postage stamp, it's still going to pop on Amazon. So as little as possible on there, it's got to be catchy. But think about thumbnails and, and all these things people go through got to be real sure that that's there. Um, let me just throw one more thing because sure, yeah, talk about yeah. intellectual property all the time. Um, I'm a big believer in protecting your work. So um, if you just have a draft and you're not going to go forward, you still can copyright that through the U.S. Copyright Office. Um, what I do is when the book is published, you can either send two physical copies to the U.S. Copyright Office, or you can uh, do the Kindle copy by uploading the forms from the government website. Uh, there's a lot of rights that you get if you do it within three months of publishing it. So it's it sounds intimidating, but copyright, um, if there are no real issues, it's it's a pretty simple process. Well, Perry, um, you've shared a lot and you have a lot to share. And I'm going to recommend that anyone who is ready to take some action on writing a book, listen to this podcast twice. Um, and, and, you know, I I, I feel like... If you're going to do this, you might even have to think about throwing out the first pancake that, in fact, you know, your first book may be just what you learn from and may be the place where you take care of these things that you recommended. You've got now having done your first book, you've got a group, you understand what it is to be to be strategic. You've had an experience with publishing. You kind of know what your writer's zone is. And you've got some mistakes under your belt and you know what you did that worked. So it might even be fair to say, hey, if you're going to do this, plan on the second one being where the action. That's what happened with me. I'm, I'm rooting for people getting it right the first time around. Okay. <laughs> all right. Me too. But, you know, life seldom works that way. So, um, all right, Perry, all the best. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This was fun. A lot of fun. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks. Thank you for joining me for this episode of People Know Stuff. If you know stuff, I'd like you to be a guest on my program. Please visit my website and drop me a line.